Hear now, O house of Israel, is my way not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? When a rock die for it, for the injustice that he has done, he shall die. Again, when a wicked person turns away from the wicked, therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn away from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. Lord God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you um, for the opportunity to open it, to have it challenge our understanding of the world, the understanding of ourselves. And Lord, I pray that you would examine us, uh, that you would help us to come to see ourselves in your light. And as Isaiah said, we need new hearts and new spirits, but we know we can't give those things to ourselves. So we ask, Lord, for your help that you would give us new hearts, new spirits, that we might turn to you and live. And we ask this in the name of your precious Son. Amen. Well, good evening. It's great to see you here and on the camera there, on, online as well. So it's great to be gathered together just in whatever form we can because um, this is life-giving, you know, to be able to sing together, to be able to hear God's Word, to be able to have the back and forth of liturgy. Um, we were doing this alone and we would say the lines, and then it would just be Jay saying it back to me, or me saying it back to Jay. So this, this is right, you know, the, the liturgy, you're doing the work of the people. So that feels really good to be back here. I want to look at um, our Old Testament passage today, because why not pick the easy one? And nobody's with me. Okay. Uh, you're you're, you're going to come along with me. Um, there are a set of great questions that all times and places and peoples and civilizations have wrestled with. Um, all the great literatures of the world, all the great philosophies of the world have wrestled with versions of these questions. Um, some of these questions include, what is the good life? What is the nature of justice? Um, you've probably had the dorm room version of this conversation, fate versus free will. These are some of the great questions that all humans have wrestled with in different ways. And Ezekiel's passage wrestles with the question of justice, but it also wrestles with one of these other great questions we might say is the question of the one and the many, or the question of the individual versus the collective. And the reason that I want to draw attention to that question tonight and use that question to look at what Ezekiel has to say is this is one of the questions that's sort of roiling and, and raging around us. Um, we live in the West, we live in the United States of America, which means that we have sort of gone all in on the individual side of it to the extent that the individual has become individualism. And we have sort of maybe a desire to swing back towards the collective. This happens in different cultures and times and places, and you can look at history to see that. But that question is alive and well in the passage in Ezekiel. And I want you to pay attention to how God answers that question to these people in this time. Israel finds itself in exile. Ezekiel is speaking to the people in exile, and he gets right to the point he says, there's something that you're doing, there's this phrase, this proverb, this slogan that you're saying, and I want you to stop it. And here are the reasons why I don't want you to say that anymore. 
And tied up with this proverb is this question of the individual versus the collective. So look at verse 1 in Ezekiel chapter 18. The word of the Lord came to me, verse 2, what do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. So this is a, a phrase or a proverb or a slogan that sort of encapsulates how they think things are going, meaning people who were before us did certain things, and now we are reaping the consequences of them. So they ate unripe fruit, and you know that feeling if you bite into unripe fruit, like a plum, like a plum that's too hard, and what it does to your teeth and the way it makes your gums feel. They're saying, our fathers, they're the ones who bit into the fruit, but we're the ones who have our teeth set on edge. They did certain things, and now we find ourselves in exile. And what does God say? He says, I live in, as I live, declares the Lord God, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. Off limits, stop saying it. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine and the soul who sins shall die. Now, what is God's problem with this proverb? I think it's an interesting question because there is a truth in the proverb, right? Anybody who's been part of a family or part of a group of people knows that things that are done in the past can have an effect on the present. In families, we know that cycles of abuse and cycles of alcoholism can have dire effects on the now generation, and they're still reaping the benefit, or not the benefit, but the difficulties of those things. There is certainly a sense in which there is a truth in this proverb that the fathers, the parents of a previous generation did certain things, and now we are reaping the consequences of those things. So why is God dismissing this proverb? It all comes down to what he says in verse 4. All souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. He's making a plug for the individual's status before God, meaning there is a collective. You are a part of a group of people, but that can be an incomplete truth. This proverb is dangerous to them where they are in the moment they're in because it's only a partial truth. It's incomplete. Um, it's easy to pick up a slogan as a way to describe what's going on and then as a way to ignore other things. Maybe you've seen evidence of that. People can say things in a sentence and it's supposed to sum up all of reality and it just, they don't. It's a partial truth at best. But the problem is the way that they are attaching to this partial truth, this proverb. And the reason that this other reason that this proverb is dangerous is because it be, had become fatalistic for them, meaning there's nothing we can do about where we are. We're in exile. They did it. We didn't. Now what are we going to do? So they've sort of given up. There's a kind of paralysis. There's a kind of inertia. They don't see themselves as being relating to God because God's only relating to them through the previous generations. And Ezekiel, or God through Ezekiel, is saying, no, no, you're, getting, you're looking through the wrong end of the telescope. I would encourage you to go home and read the rest of the verses of Ezekiel 18 that, we, that aren't part of our reading tonight. Because what happens in the next verses is three case studies, three generations, a grandfather, a son, and a grandson. 
And Ezekiel shows, or God speaking through Ezekiel shows how he dealt with that individual and their sin or their desire to turn towards the Lord in repentance, how he dealt with each soul as an individual soul, how the father was his and the son was his and the grandson was his as well. So, we have this proverb. It's a partial truth. It's a slogan that they had adopted that had become a means of a paralysis, a way of them not relating to God in individual terms, and that's where the chapter crescendos. God says, no, we're not going to have this proverb anymore. You're not going to say it anymore, because each soul, each individual is mine. And then to each soul, to each individual, what does he say? He says, repent. See, that is the dignity of the individual, is that the word of the Lord comes to us as individuals, and we each have the opportunity to hear the word of the Lord and to respond, to say, I'm going to follow or I'm not. I'm going to say yes or I'm going to say no. And this opportunity to repent is an opportunity to turn toward life. So God says to his people, cast away from you the transgressions that you have committed, not that your fathers have. Cast away the transgressions you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? Meaning, why won't you repent and turn to me in the way that you can? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. Turn and live. That's the gospel. That's the good news, is that we can turn towards the Lord, and in turning towards Him, we're not just turning away from something, we're turning towards life. We're turning towards to what He offers. And this is what Jesus is getting at, too, in His parable that He tells about the two sons. That's a story of repentance as well. A father comes to two sons. One son, he says, hey, go work in my vineyard, and the son says, sure, and then doesn't do it. The second son says, no, I'm not going to work in your vineyard, but then does. And then Jesus' question, who did the will of the Father? Who repented? Who did what they were supposed to do? Or to put it in the terms of Ezekiel, who turned toward life? That image of the vineyard is so important. It's an image that Isaiah uses. It's an image in the Psalms. It's an image throughout the Old Testament of God's a desire to fruitfully work with his people, people to bring about abundance, to bring about life. It's a garden image. It's a picture of the covenant. It's an image that Jesus picks up when he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. So the invitation is from the Father is not just go and do what I say. It's come and work in the place of abundance and the place of fruitfulness and the place where there is life. I'm not just asking you to turn away from something. I'm asking you to turn toward something. And that is the nature of true repentance. And it's what Ezekiel understood. See, he hasn't solved the problem of the one and the many. Because that debate, every culture has to have their own version of that conversation. Because different cultures put an emphasis in different things. Like I said, we're Americans. We put our chips in on the individual. And that can have some dire effects. But so can putting all your chips in on the collective we see that there's a dark side to both of those things. Ezekiel isn't giving the once-for-all-time answer to that question, but he is saying, don't use a slogan, don't use a proverb, don't use a way that you've encapsulated reality as an excuse. 
as an excuse to not turn towards the Lord when he is offering life. Turn and live, Yahweh says to his people through his prophet Ezekiel. Which one did the will of the Father, Jesus says to those hearing his parable, which turned towards life to work in the vineyard, the place of fruitfulness, the place of abundance? Book of Common Prayer, morning prayer, every day, we have the opportunity to say Psalm 95. Psalm 95 is about the people of God in the wilderness and them turning away from God. And the psalmist says, don't be like them. And then this great phrase that the writer of the Hebrews comes back to again and again, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today, here's the opportunity. We all have a past right? We all have ways in which our families messed us up. We all have ways in which our society has messed us up. (laughs) We all have ways in which we are broken. We all have ways in which we have chosen to turn away from the Lord. But as long as there is a today, there is always the opportunity to turn toward the Lord and live. There is always the opportunity to say, okay, maybe I've said no, but I'm going to be like that other son. I'm going to say yes now and go into the vineyard, and even then I can do the will of the Father. And Jesus says, that is why tax collectors and prostitutes enter the kingdom of God before you. Why? Because they heard the word of the Lord, and whatever timeline it took, however hard it was, whatever it took to break through to them, they finally said yes. And I would say that that's not just a one-time opportunity. That's open to all of us, that the Christian life is the life of repentance, continually turning away from death to life, continually turning away from the things that the world promises us and turning towards the one who keeps the vineyard and says, come and work with me. Come have abundance. I am the vine. You are the branches. Abide in me and you will what? Bear much fruit. Not that you just stopped doing the bad stuff, but that you turn towards the one who can give you a new heart and a new spirit as God said to his people in Ezekiel. So I would leave you with that exhortation. We're, we're in crazy times, right? Quarantine was hard. Sheltering in place was hard. Relationships got hard. It's, it was all, it's all a mess. It's still a mess. But even in the midst of that, God says, today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. Jesus says, or God says, today, through his prophet, to us, turn and live. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword, a dividing word from spirit, that it can show ourselves to us in a way, Lord, that doesn't just destroy us, but that can remake us. And I pray again, Lord, that we would be people with new hearts, new spirits, and we could turn towards you and live. And we pray for fruitfulness, Lord, as we labor in your vineyard. We ask this in the name of your precious Son. Amen.